Greetings! My name is Alana Lewandowski, and I am a contemplative roots songwriter and recording artist from Treaty 2 territory in Manitoba, Canada. You're currently listening to Sunday Song and Rumination, a radio and podcast show that features some of my musings and music. Every Sunday, you will get to tune in, and you can even leave me an audio message here, which may end up on a future show. To learn more about me and my music, you can go to my website, I'm over on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the streaming platforms and more. Thank you so much for tuning in. Greetings and welcome to the seventh episode of Sunday Song and Rumination. I am your host, Alana Lewandowski. Um, Today we are going to hear a song most of you will have never heard. Um, Once in a while I will post inside of Patreon a song uh, close to its inception, just with a scratch recording of it so I don't forget the song. And the song you're going to hear today is called Obedient Daughter. And I wrote it last year, and it will be on the album that will come out next year, um, along with the book that I'm, I'm starting to work on. Um, once in a while, I share that type of thing inside of Patreon because I want to mark a specific moment in time. Um, sometimes it's timely with the world news or how I'm feeling And um, today I really wanted to share this song with everyone um, because of how I'm feeling and also because uh, I I think it will support what I have, what I have to say today. Um, I'm going to continue forward with with, um, contextualizing the video and the song When Love Meets Dust, which will be released on uh, February 10th, so this coming Wednesday. And um, I really wanted to spend a lot of time laying groundwork for this because it could, the the video itself is a multiple layered, a multi-layered sermon, and as as is the song, and the um, the sort of the all of the streams and strands that flow out from its from behind it, um, and how I was able to weave that sort of tapestry, but. Um, Last week, just as a review, I mentioned that When Love Meets Dust was written in the context of Ash Wednesday landing on Valentine's Day, as well as um, allowing Father Ron Rollheiser's book, The Holy Longing, to influence the the writing. So um, in that book, he doesn't divide the field. He's naming one longing. And he illustrates with the symbols of Janice Joplin, Lady Diana, and Mother Teresa. And I also mentioned last week that, um, I think I said Abba Moses, but it's Abba Joseph and Abba Lot, the story um, of how Abba Lot comes to Abba Joseph. And he says, um, uh, Abba Joseph, you know, I... I say the daily office, I fast a little, I pray and I meditate, I live in peace and insofar as I can, and I purify my thoughts. Um, what else can I do? And Abba Joseph says, um, he, he 
puts his hands up into the air and the sun is setting and the sun setting behind him and he his his hands are illuminated and they look like flames or torches and he says to Abalot, if you will, you can become all flame. So I worked with that because um, in Orthodox Christianity, for the most part, fire and flame is associated with hell and also uh, desire. And often uh, you can immediately uh, draw a line between all of those things with the woman and um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today because I really want to, um, I want to work, work out how and tell you how I developed the Mary Magdalene character in the video. And, um, and of course, we know, uh, we know a little bit about how Mary Magdalene was painted by Pope Gregory and how that paved a trajectory for how... Uh, the church and the Western world has um, has viewed women uh, and treated women and burned women. So um, prior to um, talking about the Mary Magdalene character, I really want to speak about the other characters a little bit more. And I mentioned last week that the rebel rocker is uh, a tortured soul and that she feels the suffering in the world, and she doesn't really know how to um, how to find another option besides opting out of conformity through uh, via rebellion. And then, um, uh, then there's the conformist who is the Roman citizen, and she is alluring, but she's also very poised and postured, and she is in an, in the dress that is uh, respectable for her time in her culture. And she holds herself in a very postured manner, even while she dances. And when I played that character, um, I had the experience of um, Mercy sort of leaving, Mercy sort of leaving my awareness and coming back into my awareness um, and whenever it would leave my awareness, my eyes would go vacant and um, lose their light or their their spark. And um, and that was like a, an actual experience I had when I played that role. And the irony is that even though she's postured, and if you were to put the two, um, the the rebel and the Roman citizen next to each other, um, and, and someone were to ask you, who do you think is more violent? Um, most people would pick the rebel. She's just, she can't hide how she feels um, very well. And um, she's, she's got her shadow side kind of um, on her sleeve, along with her heart. And um, the Roman citizen, um, she's far more uh, like together and, and poised. But um, there's a great irony there because she's standing, where she's standing um, and performing her part of the song, there are Roman soldiers um, lined up on either side of her. And, um, and so her posturing, her, her poised uh, nature is, is propped up by the most violent military complex of her time on the planet. 
And uh, that's something I really want people to meditate on when the, when the video comes out, to let that sink in and really catch the allurement of, of how, uh, how she gets to the place of being able to be that poised. And then um, now I'm just going to move right into uh, the Mary Magdalene figure because I want to explain to you how I developed her character in a full circle manner. So um, I know how many scholars have done an immense amount of work on, on letting us know the damage that Pope Gregory did when he turned Mary Magdalene, um, Mar Mary Magdalene's character into a prostitute. And this is not to um, this is not to pass judgment on sex workers. They have enough judgment passed on them. Um, on a daily basis, I don't need to add to it. Um, that isn't the point. The point is um, that Pope Gregory doing this to the Mary Magdalene figure was uh, essentially basically ousting uh, the feminine presence of Christianity. And um, we see it in, you know, um, over the last 20 years, especially because of uh, the Da Vinci Code and all of that. But there is a lot of um, scholarly work being done in this area. And of course, um, something I want to point out as well before I continue is that um, there's a lot of women scholars on this subject, and the, and the subject means a lot to them. Um, and it means a lot to me. And something I've found interesting is that a lot of the scholars who um, work in this area are often uh, somehow painted um, by the general uh, theological, scholarly, historical, um, historical academia that as um, sort of out there, maybe a little bit of a hippie or um, a flower child or... Um, someone to be a little bit discounted. Maybe you could find this book in a new age uh, bookstore. And again, not that there's anything wrong with a new age bookstore, but the point is, is that's where these, um, this immense amount of scholarly work and also um, just theological work um, being done in the same way that uh, theological work is done with the rest of of with the life of Jesus and so on and Paul and and the other uh, the disciples, um, so it's it's just interesting to me how this study in particular is going to be picked up by um, sort of more um, uh, publishers that maybe aren't respected within an orthodox theo theological sphere, and I think there's something to that. And um, I think it. I think part of it uh, is that even the way the scholars are treated is a, a direct correlation to the way women have been treated um, since Pope Gregory um, discounted the figure of Mary Magdalene. Just a little bit of an aside there for you to sit with that, because the minute we women start talking about Mary Magdalene, um, you think that we're. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Just um, to be discounted or put into that sort of wonky um, out there category. 
And I think that um, doing that is participating in this lie that was paved a long, long, long time ago. So um, all that to say that um, I ended up deciding that Mary Magdalene in the video would be adorned and she would be wearing red and she would have long tresses and she would uh, be sensual. And, um, and the reason why I chose to do that was not to depict her in a first naivete um, as a prostitute, but I actually came first, like full circle in a, in a second naivete. Um, and, and this is how I did it. So first of all, um, I, I, I sat for an entire morning with the image that Leonardo da Vinci um, painted of Mary Magdalene. Um, it's not uh, the most famous painting of his, but it's of Mary Magdalene and she has um, bared herself. She's bared her breasts. She's still adorned and um, she is utterly without shame. It's a very beautiful painting. It is, um, it's a stunning painting because there's nothing um, untoward about the painting at all. It's just simply beautiful and whole. That's what it feels like when I look at it. So I spent the morning viewing the painting and over and over listening to Joni Mitchell's song, The Magdalene Laundries. And I went through different emotions and feelings um, as I looked at this just whole, beautiful, unashamed woman who was, uh, was, had bared herself and was still adorned. Um, but how, uh, the woman had been painted by our forefathers in the church, um, to the point where all of them were allowed to say despicable, despicable things about women. And it led, um, it, it, I think that it has played such a role in the practice of dehumanization um, that it leads directly into um, the participation of white women in white supremacy. Um, and I'm not going to go too far into that, but I think that the dehumanization of women has played a massive role in the development of dehumanization on, on a mass scale. Um, and um, And so... This, this figure of Mary Magdalene, I'm sitting there looking at her, um, and she's whole and well and incarnate, and I listen to the sad, sad tale that Joni Mitchell um, conveys in the Magdalene laundries of these young girls who get pregnant in these little towns in Ireland and get sent away, um, and the minute their baby is born, they don't even get to hold the baby. It's taken and put into a quote unquote proper home. And then the girl ends up just becoming a, a, a slave. Um, and, uh, and it, it's just such a sad story. And I, and I, that's what I ended up, how I ended up developing my character was through grieving, um, the way women, uh, even women's beauty and um, our curves and everything about us um, was um, turned into a, a form of devilry or seen as, um, as a shadow or um, something, something dirty and wrong. And so 
what I did with this character was I, I sat with the scholarly work of, of how um, scholars have determined that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute, but then I brought it back around full circle into um, her being incarnate as, um, as an adorned, unashamed woman, an embodied woman. And when I became her for, for the video, um, you can see in her eyes that she is carrying a balance of knowing and unknowing and that she is well, and she has become all flame and, um, she is well as is, and that's important. Um, a couple of other things I want to say, um, Mary's holding to, uh, two very important pieces in, uh, in the sort of iconic image I created in the video. And it's really inspired by many, many uh, icons of Mary Magdalene. And one of them is the red egg, and the other is the alabaster jar. And I'll just quickly tell you the story about the red egg. I'm sure many of you have heard it. But um, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Mary travels this in this legend she travels to Rome and due to her high um, highborn status she is able to have an audience with Tiberius Caesar and when she is speaking with Tiberius Caesar she uh, basically files a complaint that he did not um, that Pontius Pilate did not handle the trial of Jesus uh, well at all and handled it very poorly. And, um, and she picks up an egg from, um, from a spread of food on a table and she holds it up and she says, by the way, uh, he, he was raised from the dead. He is risen. And Tiberius looks at her and scoffs and he laughs and says, no man can be raised from the dead any more than that egg can turn red. And uh, according to the legend, at that moment when he said that, the egg turned red. And then uh, the, other, the other piece that I'm holding is the alabaster jar. And I actually commissioned a local potter to make it for me. And for me, um, I know that the alabaster jar symbolizes a lot to many people. It's a chalice. It's a womb. It's a, 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 an orifice. Um, but also the shape of it is um, slightly phallic. And I thought that it would bring the two together in a way. And so um, as to make the anointing of Jesus all the more powerful. So with that, I am going to introduce my song that I thought would support this talk, even though the talk is really about the song When Love Meets Dust and um, the premiere of the video coming out on uh, Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. Um, but I wanted to introduce this song, which is just a scratch recording to get it down. And it's called Obedient Daughter, but it's really about a not so obedient daughter. And I wrote it from the perspective, possibly, of, um, of one of my ancestors, maybe from up in the highlands of Scotland, um, maybe in the, you know, 16th century or so. And, um, and she wasn't a super cooperative, uh, cooperative woman, um, 
who was suffering the uh, repercussions of Pope Gregory um, even then, so many years, so many centuries later. Um, and, uh, and I thought that this song would be kind of a, the perfect song to end this talk today. So here it is, Obedient Daughter. Thank you. The repression that I've carried is so great and so scary and makes me want to hoist the whole damn universe with one long lever from my breast. I still want to hold my hands raised in one sweeping mark of awe and praise for the brimming beauty all around that somehow maybe came from love. But I'm not an obedient daughter. My body protects the water. So apparently threatening, it must be damned. Because in it, the powerless find power, and the enslaved come to their hour. And they sing, oh, they sing, there's a wellspring in this land. There's a fire. In the town square, a jeering crowd is gathered there to watch my skin and bones rise up an incense to the Lord. This is not some romantic gesture. I was gathered up and tested, and I couldn't ever bring myself to shrink and crouch and beg cause I'm not an obedient daughter my body protects the water so apparently threatening it must be damned because in it the powerless find power and the enslaved come to their hour and they sing oh they sing there's a wellspring in this land I said Christ was my druid and the mystery was fluid animating the whole damn universe from a star tinier sea I said this had always been so and the Nazarene had brought the king's load and the Mary Magdalene had been the only one who understood cause she was not an obedient daughter body protected the water so apparently threatening it must be damned because in it the powerless find power and the instinct
slave come to their hour and they sing oh they say there's a wellspring in this land yeah they say Well, that's it for this week's Sunday Song and Rumination radio show. I'm your host, Alana Lewandowski. Be sure to subscribe to this, give it a review, and most importantly, please send me an audio message. I would love to hear from you. I'm sure that your words could be more profound than my own, so your message may end up on a future episode. Until then, I'm signing off in the deep, Peace.